The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The consumer's mad as hell, and she's not going to take higher prices anymore. Over the last few days, we've heard that the consumer's either tapped out, perhaps by inflation, perhaps by spending too much, or has gotten to the point where she doesn't want to spend any more unless it's on travel. Even there, we've got growing uncertainties. The impact on stocks? It's simple. Money managers are increasingly putting their dollars on tech stocks, especially enterprise software, and steering clear of companies that serve the consumer. Who can blame them for wanting to buy artificial intelligence stocks? And that's why the Dow only rallied 184 points, while the S&P gained 1.1%, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq pole vaulted 1.59%. Look, it's not easy figuring out what went wrong with the consumer, but let's start with the evidence that it's happening at all. First, we got to me, have chains like Macy's, terrific ones, saying the consumer suddenly has debt problems, something we haven't seen since 2019. We have Target putting up truly sad same-store sales numbers, something far more telling than actual earnings. I always watch same-store sales because they're like blood pressure. They give you the true health of the retailer. Put simply, the much lower-end Walmart is doing much better than the higher-end Target. I think Target had its way with Walmart for a very long time, with much more beautiful stores and differentiated merchandise that allowed them to charge more. No more. You maybe haven't been to a Walmart lately, but in this environment, Walmart happens to be a perfectly pleasant place to shop with prices that are being rolled back to pre-high inflation levels. Meanwhile, Target always seems to be testing the waters with higher prices. Walmart's house brand seems to be much improved. Its fresh and organic food section actually, I'm not kidding, reminds me of something out of Whole Foods. Second, Apparel's become a real loser. Hardly a day goes by when you don't see some negative story about Capri or Tapestry, both of which have expensive merchandise. People just aren't paying up for that kind of merchandise anymore, especially younger people who have to start paying back their student loans again. They certainly aren't paying up for expensive shoes from Nike. And I'm not just saying that because Nike stock has been down for 10 straight days. No, I'm saying it because Foot Locker 
the house of pain. Reported an extremely painful quarter today, which made me think that there might be a billion dollars worth of excess Nikes kicking around at that joint. Are the Jordans too expensive? Yeah, along with most other specialty sneakers. About the only apparel companies that have decent numbers right now are off-price stores like Ross or TJX. They got the pick of the litter. So they buy up excess inventory from struggling retailers at pennies on the dollar. It's their time. We're getting the same vibes from the auto companies because there's finally a sense that auto loans are too expensive and the cars are ripoffs. They cost too much. We're back in a world where it's cheaper to fix your car than buy another one, whether it be new or used, which is why I think the stock of AZO, AutoZone, is such a bargain. New cars are too expensive. Used cars are too expensive. Financing's extortionate. Mm, in that kind of environment, yeah, you got to go to the zone. Next, people have been priced out of housing, except for, of course, the very rich who can pay cash for a new home. A quarter of the people who just bought million-dollar houses from Toll Brothers pay cash. Of course, tolls always build houses for the wealthy. I expect the lower-end home builders will soon have to deal with excess inventory as we get a glut of rental apartments coming online. I know the travel remains robust, but is it as robust as it was? Or it makes me think. I mean, Expedia would be putting up better numbers if that were the case. And American Express stock wouldn't be languishing at 159, down from 180. And it's holding on to that lever level. It's kind of like by its fingertips. There's a sense from the restaurant world that a term called premiumization, the desire for the consumer to pay top dollar for the best of the best, including liquor, is over. Kaput. That's remarkable. I used to be in a business for years. The most expensive liquor would always win. Not anymore. Sure, people want to travel, but they 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 know they want to spend a lot of money when they travel. That's another change from not that long ago. How bad is it all getting? We're seeing reports that General Mills has seen sales slow in its Blue Buffalo line of premium pet food. Even dogs and cats are starting to trade down. Or at least pet owners are. I mean, really, do you think that they know the difference between milk bone and Blue Buffalo? I mean, what's the matter of Purina cat chow anyway? They'll eat it. They don't expect three Michelin star pet food for heaven's sake. Finally, consumers aren't spending as much as I thought on their homes. We got a bad read about do-it-yourselfers from Lowe's the other day. They're content to let things slide for now. Highly unusual given that most homeowners are stuck in their homes for the duration, given the intractable nature of trading a 3% mortgage for an 8% one. Occasionally, you see something tangentially related to housing go up big, like Williams-Sonoma with a very good quarter and a very big short squeeze on its heels. That's about it. With all that, most money managers saying, you know what, forget it. The consumer's just too fickle. Well, we got to start staying away from their stocks. And we got to go back to what we've always wanted. We got to go back to tech, specifically enterprise software and hardware. Hey, let's pick up some of the underowned Apple. Can you believe it? For the first time in a long time, it's underowned. Let's grab some Amazon, as we did for the charitable trust, because the market's so oversold and Amazon's retail size has been crushing it. By the way, every time you hear retailers talk about cracking down on theft, it means more business for Amazon because the brick and mortar outfits have to put so much stuff under lock and key to prevent it from being stolen. Amazon, Amazon, really, it's almost faster than a service person at these joints. I don't know about you, but I always get tired of waiting, and I hate apologizing when I'm the one paying. Last but not least, there's NVIDIA. Yeah, NVIDIA, which is soaring as usual in after hours. Ah, good to have, right? Because it's reported yet another stunning quarter after the close. I always tell you that you should just own NVIDIA. Don't trade it because the stock always ends up looking much cheaper in retrospect when the actual earnings turn out to be much higher than the estimates. Sure enough, they gave you that colossal earnings beat again, fueled by much higher than expected sales, up 101% year over year. That's a good number. Even better, they got it for $16 billion in revenues this quarter when Wall Street was only looking for $12.5 billion. That is just stunning. 
Last time the analysts undershot by $4 billion. This time they still undershot by $3.5 billion. Generative artificial intelligence is for real, and the money going into it is spectacular. Turns out making the best chips that can power all of this, the fastest and the ones that generate low heat, pretty good darn business. Here's the bottom line. When the consumer's tapped out or at least more frugal than she used to be, money managers don't wait around. They flee like rats from a sick and chip and park their money in a more reliable industry. Can you imagine? They, re- they park their money in, yes. They park it into NVIDIA. And this is NVIDIA number two because NVIDIA number one passed away. But that's okay. Jensen Wong gave NVIDIA Ragu a card. Right now, enterprise software and hardware, that's where the money is. They're on fire again. Go figure. Hey, let's speak to Malinsky in Virginia. Malinsky. Kramer. Yeah. Hey, I just I realized I've got like 25 years of conversing with you. So thanks for that. You know, obviously a founding club member. Oh, fantastic. Feel, fantastic. Feel free, Phenomenal. Feel free, feel free to pen a new to pen a new book. Let me know how to pre-order. I'm so, working okay, on a new book. Go. Can you believe it? I'm working with the Chartists. I got everybody cooking on it. I got everybody. I got uh, Ben Stone who's on it, too. And Jeff Marks. Awesome. I mean, unbelievable the crew I've got. What's up? Awesome. So, hey, I know I speak for all readers and viewers. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks for making us money. And more importantly, thanks for keeping us from losing money. So, okay. Oh, man, that's my job. Although I've, been, I've, I've had a couple of winners and I've had a couple of losers. You, gotta, you always have to single when you have the losers. You can't just brag about the winners. What's up? That's right. Nobody, that, nobody hit the home run. All right, let's get to it. So, uh, hey, we know that the top three percenters, you know, all the consumer the consumers that are either uh, you know, right. trading down, skipping, right. or a la Target helping with shrink. That's a new term. Right. So for, let's forget shoes and apparel. Everyone's got to eat. So we got, we've had the best macro environment for private label food brands, and yet the number one producer, Treehouse Foods, can't yeah. get out of its own way. All right, I, I, I tell you, I've decided this company ain't that great. You know what? I just don't think it should be. It should be delivering right now. It's not delivering. So you know what I say? Ixnay on the Treehouse nay. Let's go to Robert in Georgia, please. Robert. Booyah, oh, master teacher. Booyah. This is uh, Rob from Griffin, Georgia. I'm a first-time caller, but I've been watching your show since 2008. 2008? Uh, Holy cow, I didn't even know I was on then. What's up? Yeah, I got you right after the crash. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, I'm also uh, I was heavier club then. member. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I bought the stock on a pullback after you highlighted it about a week and a half ago, but it's been dropping since then. Comment is, is the housing concerns the reason for this go down, and should I buy or hold the stock is builder's first choice. Uh, no, I like the builder's first choice. It's had, it, it did pull back. It pulled back on, on uh, but Lowe's had a good quarter. I don't know the deal. I like builder's first source. I think it's terrific, and I really love Ragu NVIDIA Kramer. Right now, money managers are fleeing from the sinking ships and consumer stocks. What are they going back to? Of course, NVIDIA and friends. May money today. We continue to pick up among the rubble to find opportunity in the August losers. You don't want to miss my five big ideas. Then close watchers know that Larry Williams came on Mad Money during Chart Week, preached patience, said that August will be bad. Well, guess what? Starting to get better. I'm going off the charts with Larry and watching you. I, uh, by the way, I'm also talking about Dick Sporting Goods. Lost a quarter of its value yesterday. Want to determine whether that's a viable dip. And yes, we're playing poker with none other than Chairman Powell. Stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every day this week, we're highlighting some of the worst performers of August in the SP 500, the ones I think could be worth buying in weakness. While the market's tricky right now, in retrospect, I bet we'll look back on this moment as a speed bump, given how oversold we are. So I want to teach you how to treat healthy pullbacks as opportunities, not as reason to pan. So far this week, I've given you 10 August losers that, uh, that I like on weakness, and tonight I've got five good ones, five more. Let's start with Charles Schwab, the online brokerage firm, with a stock that's down more than 12% in August. I've talked about this one a lot this year because Schwab has a small bank within the company with some unrealized bond losses. So it always ends up being clobbered along with the regional banks like it was this spring. In a ridiculous move, that really doesn't make a lot of sense whatsoever. There's not a lot of tie-in. I pounded the table on this one when the stock traded down at 51 in May. And sure enough, it jumped all the way back to $68.80 at its highs last month after putting a great quarter. But thanks to this August sell-off, Schwab's back to the high 50s again. The reason? Well, bond yields are up sharply this month, which is bad news for the regional banks with distressed bond portfolios. Again, that's silly linkage. Again, it's insane to group a broker, a group broker like Schwab in with those banks. But pff, traders keep doing it. Then yesterday, the stock stumbled nearly 5% after Schwab said they'd be closing some offices and laying off some people in order to save at least $500 million a year. At the same time, they announced a multi-billion dollar bond offering. People bizarrely took this view that this means Schwab's in financial distress. I think that's nuts. Schwab's still in the process of integrating TD Ameritrade, which it acquired three years ago. So the cost cutting is what you'd expect and what you want if you're a shareholder. As for the bond offering, I don't mind one bit that they're raising capital, as long as they're not selling common stock, uh, which they aren't. 
Look, every time Schwab has been beaten down by regional bank worries, it's been a terrific buy. If you missed it last time, well, guess what? You just got another chance. Next up, there's a stock that has just really dogged me and my personal trust, the charitable trust. It is just my personal stock picking has been called into question on this one. I don't like it. It's GE Healthcare. It's the maker of big ticket medical equipment like MRI and ultrasound machines, which was spun out, out of GE earlier this year. Now, literally, the stock rallied like crazy. I didn't buy into that, but it's pulled back. And as soon as it pulled back, uh, it, I, I, we started buying. It's down now nearly 12% since the beginning of August. We keep buying it just for the trust. I can't own personal stocks. We own GE Healthcare for the travel trust. Huge now. And I am flummoxed by the recent decline. This is a company that reported a terrific beat and raised quarter in late July. Since then, there's been no company-specific negative catalyst here. The best I can figure is that Wall Street tends to get nervous about healthcare stocks as we get close to the presidential election. But usually when healthcare comes under fire from Washington, it's pharma or the managed care providers, not the equipment companies. I think that sooner or later, the merits of GE Healthcare will allow its stock to decouple from the rest of the group. This is an excellent business. Their machines are often the profit centers of whatever facility they're sold into. And I've already told you the numbers here are excellent and getting better after that last quarter. Longer term, I see GE Healthcare as a major winner from the major wave of from the new wave of Alzheimer's drugs. Uh, because you need repeated MRI scans to know whether those drugs are working. How much do I like this stock? Look, we've already bought some for the Chapel Trust over this week. What more can I say other than you shouldn't wait to, uh, to buy this stock? I think you should buy it now. I think you're getting an amazing chance to pick it up at a ridiculously cheap price. It has not moved one whit since we said buy it, except down. Third, there's Albemar. Okay, now this is the specialty chemical company with a major lithium business, crucial to electric vehicles. Lithium's a notoriously boom and bust industry. After I recommend Albemar in late April, the stock surged from 185 to 247 at its highest last month. Since then, though, it's given back nearly all of its gains, including an almost 10% decline since the beginning of August. Albemarle has been clubbed because Wall Street's falling out of love with EVs, electric vehicles. Consumer demand seems to be waning, and the cost of scaling to EVs is proving too high for traditional automakers. I get why people worry, but this is still a major growth area, and Albemarle is not a bet on any particular manufacturer. They just make lithium for the batteries. The way I see it, earlier this month, the company reported a magnificent quarter. They earned $7.33 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $4.48. It's like NVIDIA, huh? And they massively raised their full-year forecast. At these levels, Abmeyer now sells for roughly seven times the midpoint of their earnings guidance. But nobody seems to care because analysts are convinced 2023 will be Abmeyer's last good year. And it seems expensive on 2024 and 2025 projections. My view. I'm a believer in lithium long term. I still think we're headed for electric vehicle future, even if it might take a good bit longer than we hoped, which is why I like the old fashioned oil pipelines Enbridge, energy transfer partners. You know, the thing you need to understand, though, is that say is that anything related to lithium has had huge swings with Albemarle. You have to be prepared to sell it into strength and then hold your nose and back buy it back into weakness. Right now, we've got weakness. This is a trading vehicle. What's next? Okay, after a strong start to the year, the semiconductor cohort has cooled off recently, uh, with some notable exceptions. When you look through August's biggest losers, 
NXP Semi comes up. That's down nearly 10%. Well, this is a great company. It gets more than half of its business from the auto market, with another 21% from industrial, two groups that have been hurt by the slowdown fears. Uh, plus, investors are worried about a UAW strike, which could crimp a lowering produ- and lower production and therefore lower demand for NXP chips. I think it's short-sighted because even if there is a strike, it won't last very long. Eventually, the White House would intervene and force a compromise rather than letting a major American industry freeze for an extended period of time. Doesn't hurt that NXP Semi recently reported a very solid quarter uh, with excellent guidance. So uh, so good it sent the stock up more than 4% the next day, from 210 to just under 220. Thanks to the recent sell-off, it's back down to 201. So you're getting that quarter for free and then some. Finally, how about some love for a tremendous machinery company called Illinois Toolworks, a maker of specialized industrial equipment that I like to think of as a manufacturer's manufacturer. I always call this one the best industrial company you've never heard of. Lately, Illinois Toolworks, or ITW, has been clubbed thanks to its auto exposure with the stock down nearly 9% for August. But I'm simply not worried about ITW, even if the United Auto Workers goes on strike next month. The company reported the same sort of steady eddy earnings beat that it always gives us on August for on August 1st. Now, a couple days later, Illinois Toolworks announced that it was boosting its buyback authorization to $5 billion, which is equal to about 7% of its market cap. They also raised the dividend by 7%, not an earth-shattering number, but you only raise your dividend when you're confident about the business. This is one of the best-run companies I follow. Management has tremendous attention to detail, and they're very disciplined about capital. Disciplined. As far as I'm concerned, all that's happened with this stock in the August correction is that Illinois Toolworks has gotten cheaper. What's not the like? The bottom line, with five new names, we're now up to 15 August losers who can butt into current weakness, especially this one. This is the one that's driving me crazy. I'm going to be right on this one. I know it. I wouldn't be surprised if Fed Chief Jay Powell causes another leg lower after he speaks with Jackson, uh, Jackson Hole on Friday. Jackson Heights, no way. Jackson Hole, yes. And that's why I'll give you five more of these viable losers tomorrow night. I like these. These are good stocks. Mad Money's back in for the break. Coming up, we always hear about rates. Today, Kramer tackles the Fed and an endless ocean of cold, hard cash. Next. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, the last few weeks have been brutal for the stock market. Even as we finally got a nice update today. We're in a tricky moment because we've gotten a number of signs that business might be slowing down, as I said at the top of the show. But at the same time, the Federal Reserve still seems eager to keep raising interest rates repeatedly in order to truly wipe out inflation. It's very tough to get a read on this market, isn't it? In moments like this, especially because it's an ugly tape until today, it tends to color your judgment, right? So it's hard to be optimistic when August has been this bad. And that's why tonight I want to take your emotions out of play, okay, by going with a more quantitative, more empirical approach. So what do we do then? We go to Larry Williams, the legendary technician and market historian who's been the top expert in the space since I was a teenager. Larry's written over a dozen books, created a ton of proprietary technical indicators, many of which are named after him. More important, though, he was the guy who warned us that August would be really ugly. He came on the show at the beginning of the month in chart week and predicted that things might not be turn- might be not so hot until mid-September. Plus, don't forget, in April 2020, when everybody else, everybody else, every other expert was thinking it was the end of the world, and we might be stuck in lockdown indefinitely. Williams made the boldest, smartest contrarian call I have ever seen. He told us the lockdowns would end within weeks and the economy would come roaring back, taking the stock market with it, which is exactly what happened. One of the greatest calls of my life. Right now, there's a ton of negativity, right? Uh, but Williams has noticed a very positive sign that nobody talks about anymore. It makes him feel a little more constructive about this market. Remember, he was negative when everyone was positive. What's changed? Well, it all comes down to, of all things, the money supply. Back in 1964, an economist named Burl Sprinkle published a book called Money and Stock Prices, where he analyzed the relationship between changes in the money supply and the action in the stock market. Sprinkle concluded that at least since World War I, get this, the Dow Jones Industrial moves systemically with changes in the money supply. Now, I admit is not perfect, but this is a seminal text for guys like Larry, and the money supply can be a great tell. We just don't talk about it enough. Ultimately, Sprinkle got a job as Undersecretary for Monetary Affairs in Reagan's Treasury Department. Then he's promoted to be Chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. But from an investing perspective, he made a pretty persuasive case the money supply was the true determinant of both economic growth and inflation. That's definitely not the whole picture. But changes in the money supply are certainly important. How important? I just show you how this methodology works. Larry ran the numbers on the relationship between the 12-month rate of change in M2, which is a measure of the money supply, in black, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average in red. If you haven't taken an economic class recently, M2 is one of the ways the Fed measures the total supply of money out there. It includes cash people have on hand, every penny in checking, and savings accounts, and other short-term savings vehicles like certificates of deposit, retail-oriented money market mutual funds. So the money supply is influenced by a bunch of things. Organically, it changes based on bank lending. Every time they lend someone money, they expand the money supply. The Federal Reserve also tries to manage the money supply, usually by buying or selling bonds. When the Fed's raising interest rates like they've been doing, that shrinks the money supply. Yeah, and a lot of people have been saying, listen, the money supply has gotten so low, it's dangerous. Wait a second. And when you look at uh, uh, you look over the chart of the 12-month rate of change in the M2 money supply, meaning not the money supply itself, but the rate at which it is increasing or decreasing, and you plot it against the Dow Jones Industrial Average, you can see why Williams takes this theory, this theory so seriously, because they do move almost in lockstep, at least in terms of direction. 
From 1960 through 1986, he circled six moments where the M2 money supply rate of change bottom. Every single time, once the money supply started expanding again, it led to massive multi-year rallies in the Dow. This is really shocking to me. Okay, you have the Dow in red every time, so you can get it. You know, and remember, we want an indicator to give it to us a few a few points before. This one's just perfect. Now, I want you to check out the same charts from the mid-80s through 1993. Williams points out that you see the same pattern playing out five more times. Every time the money supply rate of change bottoms, stocks soar. Looks like Sprinkle's thesis from what was back in 1964 has held up insanely well. Money supply, boom, goes up, boom, goes up, boom, goes up, boom. Not bad. And look, this continued through the 90s. Uh, and let's wait, I'm take a look, 90s through 2008. During this period, there were seven occasions where M2 rate of change bottom and then shot higher. Six times out of seven, the Dow rallied. The only exception was 2000 when the dot-com crash hit. That was really sui generis. It did nothing else like it. The money supply kept st- expanding during the, this period, yet the Dow didn't see much of a rally. Although it performed a heck of a lot better than the tech-heavy NASDAQ. Again, all right? Money supply black to Al Jones red. Every time, except for 2000, got it wrong there. But that was, again, a problem with the dot-com problem, dot-com bomb. Now, let's catch up to the present moment. From 2006 to today, we've had three moments where the rate of change in M2 money supply inflected. The first two were close together, 2008-2009. Dow ended up bottoming right between those two moments. After the second bottom in M2 rate of change, stocks gave you a tremendous run higher, which didn't really sell out to 2015. So it nailed it. It nailed it. I'm sorry. It nailed it here. You had to deal with this, but it did nail it ultimately. And then it nailed it here. And then finally, wow. Most recently, the M2 money supply made an upside reversal in early 2019, right after the Dow Jones Industrial declared victory. Okay, then we got that uh, in its last fight against inflation and immediately stopped tightening. Another great time to be a buyer. So from the early 60s through today, We've seen this pattern play out 21 times, and this was a fabulous buying opportunity of 19 of those occasions. 21. 19 out of 21. Only time it truly didn't work was in 2000. In 2008, it worked too, although you would have had a few months early if you bought stocks in the first upturn, the money supply rate of change, rather than waiting until 2009. Nobody's perfect. Why does Williams bring all this up? Simple. Because the 12-month rate of change in the M2 money supply has now moved up for two consecutive months. Remember, what we're measuring here is acceleration or deceleration. If you wait for the actual money supply to start increasing, the history shows you would have missed out on some tremendous gains. Right now, the money supply is still shrinking, but it's shrinking much more slowly over the past couple of months. That's the rate of change. So if history's any guide, Williams thinks that we could be looking at the beginning of another mammoth multi-year rally in the not-too-distant future as stocks anticipate the money supply expansion. Remember, August is almost over, and he said August was going to be bad. He said patience, patience, patience. Looks like patience is paying off. And bottom line, I know there's a lot of worry about this morning. I know that people are very they're frightened. But the charts interpreted by Larry Williams show that the 12-month rate of change in the money supply is finally moving in the right direction. And that's been an incredibly reliable signal for the stock market. Going back over a century, definitely worth keeping in mind in this incredibly oversold market. We you look at that? Who knows? Let's take some calls. Let's go to Barry in Florida. Barry. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, of course. I'm club member. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, thank you for being ago, a member of the club. Uh, thank well, you. I, actually, if you. Hello. 
Thank you for being a member of the club. Go ahead. Okay, you're welcome. I'm glad to be. Uh, a few weeks ago, actually, you had done a series on stocks that might benefit from the president's president and Congress's programs, and I created a little um, fund with a series of those stocks. Today's an interesting day to be asking this question, but it was Confluent was the one of the stocks that I put into that group that I had the least amount of confidence in and wanted to hear how you feel about the I like Confluent. I like Confluent. They're very well run. And we've been thinking this is a pretty good stock. And I got to tell you, um, you know, look, uh, we had them all in, and I thought they really knew what they were talking about. Very good job. I think you got a winner. I like it. Let's go to Jim in Florida, please. Jim. Uh, Jim, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call. And of my course. Question. I appreciate it. Thank I'm, you. I'm just curious. I know you like Wingstop. I like Wingstop. Why would the management go for a $250 million uh, buyback as opposed to what they did a couple of years ago and just put out a $4 special dividend. Different management, different management doing different things. Some guys want to do different things with that capital than others, and that's exactly what happened. That was a freedom of choice. Let's go to Leroy in Washington. Leroy. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You betcha. What's up? Back in 2020, I bought Honeywell. Haven't done much. Uh, thinking about selling it. Your no, advice. no, no. The Charitable Trust owns it. And if anything, we were going to buy more. We just bought some the other day. It's a 187. We got a new CEO, Vimal Kapoor. We're trying to figure out what he's going to do. Maybe reshuffles the deck. Ever, ever since that Darius Adamchek retired and, and uh, Kapoor's come in, it's been real bad. I don't think that's going to last forever. I think he's going to make his mark, and his mark is going to be a good one. All right, the charts interpreted by Larry Williams show the rate of change in the money supply is moving in the right direction. And that's been a buy signal going back over a century. Looks like Larry's patience is going to be rewarded. Much more money. Much more money ahead. Including my post-earnings take on this is a little surpriser. Dick's Sporting Goods. Is the post-earnings decline a red flag or is it an opportunity? I'm digging the story. Give me my take. Then what does Jay Powell's agenda have to do with a deck of cards? I'm giving an analogy that you need here and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Dick's Sporting Goods. It cost the stock to lose nearly a quarter of its value in a single session. How bad does a quarter have to be to give you a 24% decline? Look, yesterday morning, Dick's reported it was a bad quarter. A big quarter. They missed expectations across the board. But mainly on the earnings front, where they made $2.82 per share, Wall Street was looking for $3.78 per share. Hmm. No NVIDIA there, huh? The earnings were down 23% year over year. At the same time, Dick slashed their forecast. Uh, they were talking at $13 and change at the midpoint. Now they're saying less than 12 So this was a bad quarter. But I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't 24% bad, okay? Down 24% on that? When you drill down, the same store sales were a little soft, but the total revenue is basically in line with expectations. Plus, Dix is one of the few retailers out there still putting up positive year-over-year sales growth. And if you look beyond the numbers, there were some legitimate positives. Dix is gaining market share. They talked about significant acceleration in sales for July, the final month of the quarter. So the cadence was good. 
But the margins, indeed, they were truly ugly, leading to the huge earnings miss. Specifically, the gross margin came in at 34.4%. Analysts were looking for 36.3%. On the conference call, CEO Lauren Hobart blamed excess inventory, much of which she had to discount heavily to get it out the door. And she also blamed shrink, which is retail speak for theft. Now, we know theft has been a persistent problem for all the retailers, and it's not one that the stores can really solve themselves. Remember, retail theft is less ordinary shoplifting and more organized crime. If we're going to stop it, we need to see a coordinated law enforcement effort to target the places where stolen merchandise gets resold. Too many online marketplaces don't seem to care about where their stuff comes from. No authority is doing anything serious about this stuff, even as it's hurting every single one of us, every single law-abiding citizen. It is a tax for all of us who actually pay for, for merchandise at the register. For now, though, what matters is that the damage from theft is baked into the estimates. How about excess inventory? Look, Dix took a painful hit by heavily discounting all of its unwanted merchandise to unload it. But I think that's the right strategy. You need to get rid of this stuff. I'm encouraged by the fact that their inventory was down 5% at the end of the quarter. It means Dix is solving the problem right now. So those are the issues. They're real. But do they justify a nearly 25% decline in the stock over the last couple of days? I don't think so. First, let's start with the obvious reason why this decline might be overdone. Dick's Sporting Goods lowered its full-year earnings forecast by roughly 11%. The stock's down nearly 25%. That means it got cheaper. Before the quarter, it was selling for 11 times earnings. Now it sells at 9 times earnings. That's very inexpensive. Now, you could argue that we can't trust the new guidance given the magnitude of the miss they just reported. But you could also argue that the forecast is now what we call de-risk after the big number cut accounted for the problems with theft and excess inventory. Plus, don't forget, this has a nice dividend, one that now yields 3.6% after this brutal decline. I'll take that. So I don't think the stock should have been hit this hard. But that's not necessarily a reason to buy it down here. You need a thesis, a reason to be bullish longer term. Fortunately, Dix has that too, although it sure didn't get much credit for it this week. Why stick my neck out on this one? First, Dix is rolling out all these these 100,000 square foot palaces. They're called House of Sports Stores. They've got enormous footwear areas, including separate space for cleats, where they have artificial turf so you can try try them, you know, put them on. Pretty cool. They got batting cages for baseball products, hitting hitting base for golf equipment. Hey, even got rock climbing walls. These aren't just stores, they're experiences. They also adjust them depending on the region. For example, uh, one of Dick's House of Sport locations in Minnesota, they have focus on fishing equipment. According to management, these House of Sport locations are already yielding powerful results, although they haven't been more specific than that. Remember, Dick said that July was the best month of the quarter. It's no coincidence that they opened seven House of Sports stores last month. So far in August, they've opened two more, bringing the total to 12. I think the numbers could get a tremendous boost from these places because they are that large. Second underappreciated tailwind is Dick's golf business, including both golf equipment sales. That's at their flagship Dick's Sporting Goods stores and their Golf Galaxy stores, which are entirely dedicated to golf equipment and apparel. I've always liked the golf angle, especially in the post-pandemic world, as the sports addict, you know, sports added millions of new players in the past few years. I, look, all, everybody watches this thing now. Dick's is clearly pleased with the business. They're, they've opened seven new Golf Galaxy performance centers this year and have another 10 planned for next year. 
Finally, there's one more positive that I never hear anyone talk about, and I got affiliates worth a heck of a lot more than people realize. Dix has built an app for kids' sports. It can do sports scorekeeping, live streaming, and team management. At first, the Game Changer app was seen as a savvy marketing opportunity, a chance for the company to affiliate its brand with youth sports. But it's more than just marketing people. As we've learned about Game Changer, I increasingly feel that this tech platform could be, forgive me, an actual game changer for dicks. Might even turn into a major moneymaker for the business. I think it's worth a lot. When yesterday's conference call, we learned that Game Changer's business is, quote, rapidly growing and profitable, end quote. But even that was interesting. Even that was interesting, but who knew it was profitable? I, I didn't think he'd be making money. I figured it was a loss leader. Many other people thought that. But after doing some of our own reporting on the subject, we now know that Game Changer is highly thought of. Some of our sources say it could even be worth a lot more than a billion dollars. If that's true, it's a significant development given that the entirety of Dix is currently just $9.5 billion. And I'm pretty sure that doesn't include any contribution with the Game Changer app because Wall Street doesn't even seem to know it exists. But I think that a lot of people who follow Enterprise Sportswear knows it exists and thinks it is terrific. House of pleasure. Here's the bottom line. Dick supported a bad quarter. And now its stock has been clubbed like a baby seal, losing a quarter of its value over the past two days. I agree it wasn't good. But now it's down 25% bad? Uh-uh. That's wrong. Which means you might be getting a buy. No. Which means you are getting a buying opportunity here. I think the problems with Dick's are now baked in the estimates, although longer-term growth opportunities are being ignored, particularly this game-changer app. And for all that, you also get a 3.6% yield. What's not to like? Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Let us out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That's on the lightning round. Of money. Let's start with James in California. James. Yo, Jimmy Chill, booyah. Booyah, right back at you. What's happening? How you doing? Hey, Jim, thank you for the teaching, your humor, the passion for the markets, and for your support of the greatest franchise on planet Earth, the Philadelphia Eagles. Go Birds. Go Birds! What is your thought? on a fishnet holding sticker symbols. I, I actually like it. And I got to tell you, that's not just because my friend, buddy, pal, Ben Stoto, tells me that golf is hot. A fishnet is good. I'll see you at wing foot at the 19th hole. No, not really. Let's go to Michael in Delaware. Michael. I want to send a message to Michael. Come on, Michael. I think you're speaking to Sean Kramer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm speaking to Sean. That's my bad. Go ahead, Sean. So um, I'm calling about ticker SGHC Supergroup. Want to know your thoughts? Yeah, you know what? I, I'd like to like it, but I got to tell you, it, it's there's something. It's, it sells at four times earnings, which means there's something going on that I don't know. Let me come back and do some work on. I know that used to be a company that I talked about a lot. Now I haven't been. We're going. We're circling back to it. Now I want to speak to Michael in Delaware. Now, Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michael. This is Philly area born and bred Michael Geyser, now living in Ocean View, Delaware. The Go Bears have mauled Hawaiian electric industries after the fires. Shares have plummeted from the high 30s to the low 10s in less than two weeks. The company has okay fundamentals. 
They'll get federal disaster relief. And Hawaii yeah, but you know what? This reminds me a little bit of too much of Pacific Gas and Electric. I, I think I'd be very, very careful here. I just don't. I don't want to. I don't want to play for the bouts. It's way too risky. How about we go to Riley in Texas? Riley. Hi, Jim. This is Riley from Texas. Hey, Riley. And I need to get this off my chest. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Um, oh, my. I need my. A, your opinion on AEHR, Air Test Systems. Thank you. Love your show. You know what? I, 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 I don't know this company either. I must, I'll tell you, I must have filled up a turnip truck today. Let me do some work on that one, too. We got to do some studying. We can't just say, yeah, that looks good. We don't play that game. How about we go to Steve in Arizona? Steve. Hello, Jim. Steve. I'm planning on make I'm planning on making an investment in AT&T for the next uh, five years. Finally an easy one. That stock is horrendous. Thank you for giving me an easy one. I know easy when I see it. I'm I'm back on the turnip truck though. Richard in California. Richard! Hey Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? Good. Today I'm calling about Radnet. Radnet released the earnings a couple of weeks ago. That's a diagnostic. We love that company. This is like the third time in three weeks we have busted. I like it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, you play the hand you're dealt. Is Jay Powell holding aces? Kramer deals them up when we return. It all depends on the cards. That Chief J. Powell is going in with a strong hand. I think strong enough to beat inflation, but he can't be sure. That's the problem he faces in Jackson Hole. Basically, right now, Powell's playing poker, the five-card draw kind. The way I figure it, he has two pair. First card, well, he's been able to beat retail, right? That's what this earnings season has shown us. He's got this king, because as far as I can see, the only real retail winner so far have been Walmart because they're rolling back prices, and TGX because they're like vultures who buy up excess inventory from struggling full-price stores. Expensive premium goods aren't selling. That's a high card. Then Powell's got autos. Yeah, he just drew that second king with a high default rate on new cars that we've been hearing about. Something we're seeing because auto financing has become so expensive. Most auto loans are now north of 10%, with little alternative as used cars don't offer much of a bargain. I'm predicting there'll be price breaks galore, though, which is terrific for the Fed. He's got two kings showing. How about lending? We're finally getting the crackdown on lending that we predicted when the regional bank crisis happened back in March. We're seeing tougher capital rules that make it so many loans have been turned down, and nothing slows the economy like reducing access to credit. Many businesses that want to be to expand won't be able to. I think Powell would like to see more creative destruction at this point, more merger-induced layoffs. But Lena Khan's FTC is doing everything in her power to prevent companies from merging, which means the kind of rationalization we normally just see that just hasn't happened. Still, I think Powell's showing a queen purely because of the lending crackdown. So far, so good. Finally, wage growth is slowing down, too. It's possible for companies to hire people less expensive than a year ago. The job op so central is in over killing, killing what was a bad part of inflation. It's still easy to get a job, but not a higher paying one. If the economy picks up, wage inflation could come back. But wage inflation is very much going in the right direction for him. And that is a queen for certain. Powell's got a card to throw back. He can throw back the ace, right? Remember, this is five-card draw. He hasn't been able to stop the price of, of housing from going higher. He's taken rates up big, but last night, Toll Brothers reported a terrific quarter. Higher rates have meant sellers are afraid to put their houses on the market. 
they don't want to lose their low-interest mortgages. So he doesn't have much risk returning that card to the deck and drawing another. Here's the problem. Powell doesn't know if it's a winning hand or not. He doesn't know if it's worth standing pat. His two pair could potentially beat the hand of, of inflation. Here's the hand of inflation, by the way. As a matter of course, if he draws a full house, though, with that next card, he might crash the economy. And again, if he doesn't, if he draws any card but a king or a queen, well, he can stand pat. And then how he does in the, well, who knows when it comes this fall. Now, a full house is very hard to beat which means to me maybe a Jackson Hole bruising that could tip us in uh, into uh, recession. So you know what? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to see how he's going to do. I'm playing with an obvious brand-new deck because it was impossible for me to open. So I want to do is shuffle it here. And you know what the problem is? We don't want to depend on cards, right? And you know what? Well, here we go. This is what inflation's drawing. Queen. Ace. Jack, so far so good. Jack, okay, inflation's got a pair. And inflation's got two pair. That means it's going to be very tough. We don't want to have to pen on the cards, but if we did, then we know that inflation's got an equal hand. No wonder he may have to play a little more hardball to draw a better card. I think he's doing fine. I think he's still going to beat inflation. But you know what? Isn't this the real problem? Two pair doesn't beat two pair. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.